we'll be racing Formula E before long. <laughs> well, Nobody, watches it? That. Nobody watches that. Nobody watches that. They still race, so. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Going In Tight. Coming out loose. Welcome back, everybody, to Going In Tight, Coming Out Loose. This is Bart Lewis and Chris Gibson with you, as always, here at the podcast. We are super excited this week because... Five-time Hooters Pro Cup Series champion, 2006 Snowball Derby winner, and a guy who's ran in almost every series that there is, is on the show. Super cool dude. So let's kick it off with Clay Rogers. Yeah, there you are. How's it going? Good, yourself? All doing all right. I'm Chris, by the way, and this other guy you see on the computer screen here is bart hey clay hey how you doing bud pretty good thanks for joining us oh no problem looking forward to it yeah we uh we'll just jump right in here we got this podcast started and our goal was to talk to people who we're not hearing from every sunday who have experience and other levels of racing and um, people kind of the underbelly of the sport. And then as we were going along our interviews, we came across you and uh, your success. And we just wanted to hear from you and ask how things got started with racing for you. Oh, Lord. Uh, <laughs> well, I would go back to about uh, 1988. Uh, had a friend of mine. Uh, his name was Ted Hill. Uh, started racing go-karts. Uh, we were buddies in school and I went and watched him race one, one night and, uh, and I started, I guess actually that was, that might've been late, late 87 and, uh, started begging my dad for a go-kart and <laughs> that, that went on for about seven, eight months to a year. And, uh, he finally broke down and, uh, I believe he, uh, got a 1986 A-frame trick go-kart. And uh, we showed up to our first race in the back of El Camino pickup truck. Um, well, I don't even know if you call an El Camino a pickup truck, but in the back of an El Camino <laughs> with a couple tires and uh, started out running rookie class. And we didn't even know what a restrictor plate was. So I ran my first rookie class race with no restrictor plate and still managed to finish last and get lapped. So, <laughs> <laughs> The funny thing is, is that first race was out at uh, Millbridge Speedway, which, uh, you know, you know, all the events that they hold out there these days to yep. see what that facility has become since the late 80s to uh, to now and the events that they hold out there and uh, the types of crowds and fans that they draw out there on, on Wednesday and Thursday nights and the participation from the, the guys in the higher up series is pretty cool to see that progression from when I started racing to, to what it is now. So I was curious, growing up in a small town, I didn't really get the opportunity to do a go-kart league. That wasn't an opportunity in my area. I was just curious, like, is that pretty common across the country to find those types of leagues? Uh, well, that time was a small town. Uh, I, was, I was born, well, I was born in Kannapolis, but I've lived in Mooresville since I was about four years old. Mm. Uh, so I'm one of the few people that you'll meet in Mooresville and in the racing community that are, that are from here. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but at that time, there were several go-kart tracks around that. You, know, you had Millbridge. You had uh, Tyro that was up near uh, Winston-Salem and Greenford era. Um, Friday and Saturday night racetracks. They just had weekly racing for go-karts. It wasn't necessarily a club or a traveling series at all. Um, they were all sanctioned, you know, for insurance purposes, no different than NASCAR. They were, most of them were WKA sanctioned, but, you know, for whatever reason in this area, even though, uh, Mooresville wasn't race city USA yet at the time, there was quite a bit of, of go-kart tracks. A lot of them are gone now. I mean, there was a, a, a racetrack not too far from here up near Taylorsville called Victory Lane Cartway. I ran there quite a bit when I first started, but the, the places that are left are bigger and better than they were obviously when I started, but uh, I guess I was lucky in that aspect. I just happened to run into a friend in, uh, in grade school that, that was getting into racing and nobody in my family raced. You know, I've got family that from up in the Taylorsville, Taylorsville area, Harry Gant was kind of a idol or or a, a, a big guy to a lot of my family. that was up that way. And of course we knew about racing and, I was interested in it, but uh, once I went to my first go-kart race and watched one, I was hooked. And uh, <laughs> so uh, it, it's, uh, it definitely uh, snowballed from there. If you, if you would just want to take us from like, so go-karts, where'd you go next and, and take us up, up through the ranks? Oh, uh, started out uh, go-karts. Then um, at the end of 1995, uh, the, the Allison brothers had started up a thing called the Allison Legacy Series. So we ran a couple races at the end of 95, um, won uh, second national championship WKA in, uh, in 95. And then going into 96, just basically started concentrating on fully sprung race cars, uh, racing go-karts. So uh, I was good friends and, and semi teammates with Rodney Childers who everybody knows who he is. And, uh, and actually we ended up being teammates racing late models several years later. Uh, in 98, my dad bought a car in 1997, a light mile stock car. And, uh, Rodney actually ran his first couple races that year. And we purchased another car from Greg Marlowe towards the end of 97. And we both, uh, my very first race was at Concord at Thanksgiving classic. And, um, Rodney and I competed against each other. And then in 98, uh, he ran Tri-County Speedway every Friday night, and I raced at Concord on Saturday night nice. using the same truck and trailer, <laughs> cars in the same shop. And, you know, I was still in high school. He had just graduated, so he got to work in the shop just about all day long, and I'd get out of school and and go to the shop and work till 1, 2 o'clock in the morning and Goodness. go home and semi-do homework and, <laughs> and uh, do it all again. But, uh who was, yeah, winning, was uh, really, who was winning? Who was winning? Which track? <laughs> uh, either one of them. Were Were you when y'all were racing one another? Were Were you beating? Were you beating out Rodney? Oh, uh, we we didn't race against each other a whole lot because you know it was a it was basically a two car effort with uh, right. one car support. You know, we had <laughs> one one trailer, so that's why we had to race on separate evenings. Rodney probably ran eight to twelve races in ninety seven. And then 98 was my rookie year. And then, and it was basically for all intensive purposes, because we kind of ran a couple different racetracks with him in 97. And, uh, but he, he ran, um, 
full time at Tri County, racing against Dexter Knipe and Max Presswood, and you know the big dogs up there on Friday night. And uh, he won eight races uh, his rookie year, and I won eight races at Concord, racing against Mike Herman Jr., uh, Ricky Hendrick, Chad Mullis, guys like that. Man, um, so it was a extremely successful year uh, for both of us, and then we both went to the Myrtle beach 400 in the year of 98. I sat on the pole, Rodney qualified third and we ran first and second all the way to the halfway break. And just before the halfway break, um, uh, I started having some issues with the rear end housing and, uh, he got by us. And then after the break, uh, we ended up breaking our end, uh, bolts inside the back of the quick changes backed out into their quick change gears and basically chewed themselves to pieces. And then Philip Morris ended up wrecking him with about five to go for the win. So, uh, but, uh, man, those, those were good times. <laughs> Greg Marlowe helped us out a lot back then, helped us uh, get on our feet and get up to speed. You know, we, we were really, really good go-kart racers and really, really good Allison Legacy racers, but we didn't have much of a foothold in the, in the late mile stock world. So we were fortunate to have, a, you know, nothing short of a legend like Greg Marlowe show some interest in us and and uh you know if he told us to do something we did it really listened to him and and i think he kind of with with rodney and myself he kind of gravitated towards helping us just because um you know we didn't question you know what he if we knew he wasn't trying to hurt us he was trying to help us mm -hmm. and uh so we, we we took it that way and and uh we still talk to him to this day and, oh man, you know, I really enjoyed helping you guys. Cause I, if I told you to move up this far on the racetrack, the next lap you'd move up that far on the racetrack. <laughs> and uh, that was a, that was a great uh, experience. And Rodney and myself were lucky to be in that situation and, and be able to have somebody like Greg kind of take us under his wing. And as well as, as Joey Childress and those guys with Childress race cars at that time, their their stuff was kind of ahead of its time at that point and and uh i mean for lack of a better word we we kind of end up being the the spear point for them you know greg had really helped them get their program up and gone as well as dexter knipe so it's basically uh dexter knipe greg marlowe and clay rogers and rodney childers were kind of like it felt good to be in that group you know <laughs> that, that all those guys have had and it still feels good to be considered part of that group with all the success that, that, uh, that everybody's had going forward. Was there anybody that you're racing against at that time where you're just like, man, they're the real deal that, that went on to, to have further success? Uh, you know, Ricky Hendrick was really good. Unfortunately, uh, you know, we all know what happened with Ricky and mm -hmm. uh, felt really bad. You know, still, still think about that. Ricky and I were kind of rivals, but, uh, just cause we raced at Concord on Saturday nights and we always seem to be racing against each other along with Mike Herman and Mullis and a, and a few other guys. But as far as around here, young talent coming up at that time, you know, at, at that time, Rodney and myself were both being told we were too young. <laughs> and then within a, within a matter of two years, the script got flipped and we went from being told we were too young to, Oh, we're now we're looking for 14, 15 year old kids. You know, as far as, uh, you know, career after that, started racing some Pro Cup, had a mild amount of success in 2000 in my rookie year. Rodney went on to drive for 
uh, CNC Bowler, the JCR3 Motorsports in the All Pro Series, and made a few. He made a few Bush Series starts, and so we kind of got separated there, chasing our own career paths, but still was able to have a, a fair amount of success. And then a, it was funny because in 2001, during the off season from 2000 to 2001, Riser Enterprises, which everybody associates that 17 uh, Visine car as a Roush car, but it wasn't. Right. Um, that was Riser Enterprises, John and Robbie Riser on that car. So uh, Rodney called me one night, middle of winter, what had to been right around Christmas time, probably between Christmas and New Year's, and uh, said, hey, uh, John Riser just called me, and he wants me to come up to Hickory, you know, next week, and they're going to have a test session. You're going to have a couple drivers come up there, and they, uh, they'd like me to come up there and drive the car, and and they're looking for a driver next year. I was like, oh, man, that's awesome. <laughs> An hour later, I had to call him back, and I said, uh, John Riser just called me. he wanted for me to come up there and and test for that ride he's like no way i was like yeah (laughs) come to find out so rodney and i both tested against tracy hines uh at hickory in a bush car uh in the middle of the winter and uh just to kind of throw them off a little bit rodney and i rode together to the test to test against each other so <laughs> it was a, a pretty neat deal and that's that's where I, where the story kind of gets a little crossed up as far as my career path because you know uh the riser family and everybody was used to working with matt matt was older and uh had a lot had a lot more experience you know making calls from the seat and whatnot so uh i ended up getting the opportunity to drive a car but uh you know at the age of 20 i wasn't i wasn't prepared to go in there and, and be able to lead i mean there were different things going on too the rules the engine package rules changed they picked up 150 horsepower they went from the old monte carlo body to the new style monte carlo body and so all their aero stuff was different and i don't know if y'all uh saw rodney's thing on uh, on junior's podcast but he, he said the same things like that was probably an opportunity that I got that I wish I wouldn't have just because mm. I wasn't prepared for it at the time. And, uh, you know, yeah, I still truly believe to this day, had Rodney gotten that opportunity, he was chassis smart enough and everything, you know, he's five years older than I am, but he knew enough more about the cars at the time that he would have definitely had more success in there than I did. And of course, you know, I was supposed to run 13 races and, then 9-11 happened and the planes hit the building and all the sponsorships started drying up and I only ended up getting to do nine and, you know, just ended up not, not being a good deal. And I kind of had a, a really good few years before that. And I kind of soured things out, you know, when you go hmm. jump in a race car that Matt Kenseth winning races in and <laughs> you're not, um, let alone not winning, but not finishing a lot of them. And some of them were due to, failures and some of them were due to uh you know mistakes on my part that had ended up probably setting my career back three or four years to Mm. the point where by the time I got back to where I a well-known name again and people were going on about the races I was winning they're like oh well he's 25 years old now he's too old so (laughs) well it's fun it's funny you mentioned that Clay because we give some of these young guys I mean there's all these new teams coming into cup all the time I mean 
this year, I think we've got like three new teams and there's a couple new charters coming in. What is it like trying to strike that balance between these young guys who come in and they're running at the back and they're wrecking people. And, you know, we always, we're always giving Quinn Half a hard time on our show. And it's like, you get a guy who doesn't have a lot of experience and you just kind of said, I wish I had taken, you know, maybe another year or two um, and it wouldn't have set me back. What do you say to those guys that come in and they're kind of running at the back of the pack and they're saying, well, I got the opportunity. I have to take it. To, to me, what it sounded like you just said is you don't always have to take that opportunity. You can kind of nurture your career in a different way. Yeah, well, but times are different now, too, <laughs> to a certain extent, because these guys can – I wouldn't say it was easier to get funding to race a cup car. Um, it's easier to get funding – you can sell a sponsorship for Sunday uh, easier than you can sell one for the truck race or, or mm. the Xfinity race. Even if, for, even if it's for the same amount of dollar, you know, you start getting those sponsors that you do have coming in, hmm. more exposure. I see. Um, now, I don't know that they'd necessarily get more exposure running 35th in the <laughs> cup race than they would be winning the truck race. But, you know, there's, there's, a, lot of, there's a lot of business stuff that goes in, on into that, on the, business, the, the behind-the-scenes things. And it takes people to do all this stuff. And procure the funding to do things like that. You're providing jobs to other people that are feeding their families and doing that. Mm-hmm. We're on the, on the truck series side, it, it's a lot harder to do to have a, a small team like that or come in or a family owned team. I, I, you know, some types of those deals are, it's a fine line. I mean, yeah, I get from a racer standpoint, it's easy to, yeah, well, he doesn't have the experience to be there or, or the, the pedigree or, or the or the win stats to be there but he's there and yeah. you know if he can stay there long enough you know he's going to get better it's not like he's sitting in great equipment mm-hmm. by any means you know you're not going to drop kyle bush or chase elliott in his car and then go win it's just not going to happen for kevin right. harvard or anybody else for that matter so uh it, it seems like some you know, since you brought him up particularly <laughs> like it looks like that they have a uh they've got a long-term plan and rather than starting in the trucks and starting and then going Xfinity racing and blah, well, heck we can, we can cup race and, and hopefully maintain enough longevity to where the team and the driver gets enough of enough experience to, to be able to compete up front. Right. Most of these young guys come in and they, they start out in K&N, ARCA, and then bam, bam, and they slowly move up the ladder. Well, he kind of jumped <laughs> midway up the ladder and went right, right. up. Mm-hmm. Three years from now, if he's running 10th to 15th every week, we may be sitting here eating crow. But <laughs> right, right. And that, you know, I have to preface it with the one thing that Bart and I have always said is he's doing something that we would do at the drop of a hat. And, and we have no business being behind the wheel of a race car. Bart's gone and driven one around Talladega a couple times uh, doing one of the driver experiences. And so we, we have to preface it there. We may give him a hard time, but he is leagues ahead and in a spot that we would all take in a heartbeat. Yeah. So um, the, the other thing I wanted to ask you is 
since you've been, and, and you say you had mild success being a five-time champion of any type of thing, whether it's like little league baseball. Um, I mean, I barely, barely was a one-time champ of anything in like high school sports. So you were a five-time champ that, that doesn't need to be just like put to the side by any means, but which of these series was your favorite? I mean, you've kind of dabbled in all of them from late models all the way up to cup. So, um, which one was your favorite to be in? Uh, well, my heart will always bleed for the Hooters Pro Cup series, man. <laughs> I mean, that was fun racing. You were racing against good, talented guys. It was a great feeder series, but yet you still had, um, you had legendary short track racers and you had young guys coming in. I mean, I came in a year before John Wood and Brian Vickers and, and, uh, uh I mean, there's a lot of good kids came through the Hooters Pro Cup series and, you know, you had guys like Bobby Gill and Mario Gosselin and Michael Rich and Jay Fogelman and all these guys to pull off of that had this mass amount of <laughs> short track knowledge there for a while. I mean, I mean, everybody ran in. I keep thinking of this one quote that one of the, uh, one of the announcers said on, on one of the Pro Cup races, probably back around 2003 or four, like Clay Rogers, had a ton of success the previous season, but he ran into the same buzz saw that was Bobby Gill that the rest of the field ran into. <laughs> so, I mean, uh, I don't know right off the top of my head how many Pro Cup Series wins that I have, but I'll guarantee you I ran second to Bobby Gill almost as many times <laughs> as I won. <laughs> and, uh, and for a long, long time, we considered that a win. So, uh, and, as well as with Mario and, and, and the other guys. So, to be in that era and you know at that time I mean there were people making a living you know and and I was fortunate enough to make a, a pretty decent living in that series and I was paid to drive race cars I was paid to work <laughs> on them and you know that was that was living the dream and you know at, at one point I you know you know everybody wants to be a, a cup driver mm-hmm. but uh you know when I started dabbling in the truck series a little bit and I got to know Ron Hornaday pretty you know decently well and and uh, talked to him quite a bit at the racetrack. And one day I, I, I just sat there and I said, you know, I don't know if I want a cup race. Like, I'd be perfectly happy being Ron Hornaday, racing in the truck series, being able to compete for wins. The truck series garage, especially at that time, you know, in the mid-2000s, was really uh, the Hooters Pro Cup series, but <laughs> racing trucks. <laughs> People would help each other. Uh, there was a lot of camaraderie in the garage. Um, where, you know, when I went and drove the cup cars or went and drove the, uh, the push cars or Xfinity cars, wherever you want to call them now, like that camaraderie wasn't there. Okay. And uh, growing up, you know, short track racing with that type of camaraderie and having fun and being able to walk over and talk to a guy. I mean, you know, uh, when I drove the bush car, I could walk up to Jamie McMurray or walk up to Jimmy Johnson and, and talk to those guys like nothing and uh except for a very select few once you're in the cup garage i mean those conversations don't happen unless you're in the motorhome lot Mm -hmm. when when you can't afford a motorhome lot you don't get to have them (laughs) conversations (laughs) right so the 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 hooters pro series that changed names a few times it's isn't it now the cars series is that what it's called well what what was originally the hooters pro cup series and in around 
2009, 2010. Um, you know, once, uh, unfortunately, Bob Brooks passed away, um, that old Hooters and the US, USAR was United Speed Alliance Racing. He owned, So he owned the series and he owned the companies that funded it. And he just loved racing. Uh, great man. Everything that he did in motorsports after that plane crash where Alan Kowicki and all those people lost their lives. You know, he always made sure that his series was a tribute to them. Um, when we went to the championship series, it was always called the Four Champions Challenge. Every race was named after a person that, uh, that perished on that plane accident coming into Bristol. Every, everywhere you went and everywhere you looked, and every, every piece of signage, everything had, had those people's names on it. And I think that was his way of, of just paying homage and how much he appreciated Alan Quickie and those guys getting him into the sport more or less talking him into getting into the sport that he ended up loving and enjoying so much. And I think it was something that was really near and dear to his heart. And, uh, you know, once he passed away, there was supposedly a re recurring contract every year that, that Hooters would, uh, and Jackaroo and Naturally Fresh, which were all his companies, would continue to sponsor that series for a minimum of 10 years in the event of his passing Unfortunately, there were some people that uh, business partners and family members that uh, chose not to honor his legacy and his wishes. And uh, eventually it took them about a year. They found some loopholes in some contracts somewhere. And, and uh, the company has been sold and changed hands. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of people like myself. And I mean, lots and lots of people throughout the garage area, you know, in racing in general, that'll never forget what, uh, what Bob Brooks did for, for our sport and provided opportunities to young guys and, and uh, veterans, you know, such as Bobby and those guys mm -hmm. to earn a living and, and race on television. And, you know, you don't hear it as much uh, these days as from some of the really young guys coming in because they didn't get the opportunity to watch some of the heyday, but I get people all the time coming up to me saying, man, I, when I was 10, 12 years old, I was watching that stuff on Speed Vision. That was the best racing on TV. <laughs> We'd get together on Wednesday nights or Thursday nights and watch that two-hour broadcast, and we wouldn't even watch the cup race. You know? So it's good to still feel that. And, I mean, you can go on YouTube and, and watch those old races. And Yeah. You know, yeah, it's kind of corny how the broadcast and everything was run, but it was run on a budget, and it was run on a darn good one. And, uh Every, everybody there appreciated it, including the fans. I mean, yeah, that's cool. And, and we saw your daughter walking around a little bit earlier. <laughs> Does she know kind of the fame that dad had back in the heyday of racing or, you know, are you just kind of, are you just kind of dad to her now? And she, she doesn't know that everybody was looking to Clay Rogers as the, the next big thing. Well, uh, she was, uh, born at the end of 2009, which, uh, the year I won my third championship. And then, so she got, she was there for the last two and, uh, oh yeah, she, uh, she really enjoyed it. We've got a lot <laughs> of great pictures, uh, when she was a baby, still in the stroller. And, uh, one of my favorite pictures is at Rockingham. Uh, we won a race there and she's standing in victory lane holding the checker flag. So uh, that got to be her thing there for a while. And, uh, it, 
she would get mad and, and be upset and start crying. She didn't get the whole checkered flag. So, uh, yeah, she, she remembers a little bit of it, not a lot. Uh, that's why I got really excited this year when the car store announced that, uh, that they'd be going back to Rockingham. Mm-hmm. So I immediately went into like Rockingham's my, that, Rockingham's where I made my first, uh, Bush series start in cool. 2001, the week after Earnhardt got killed. So a lot of emotional attachment to Rockingham Speedway. And, and I've gone on to win five or six races there and, and other series since. So when that came back on the schedule, I was like, all right, I'm going to put something together. I'm, I'm going to come out of retirement and run this race. And uh, oh, nice. that was the first thing in my mind was, uh, I'd like to see her being 11 years old now. I'd like to see her get to hold that checkered flag one more time. Awesome. Uh, unfortunately, they ended up moving that race towards later in the season. You know, with my responsibilities at David Gillen Racing, I'm not sure that it'll work out for me to be able to run that race either way. Because, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm, I'm paid to do a job and uh, kind of run their light model development program. And, and uh, we've got some young guys coming in this year to uh, hopefully go out and compete for a, a car store championship. And uh, if it works out later in the year where we've got enough cars or not a, enough open seats or we don't have five or five or six cars running the same weekend in three different locations, hopefully I'd get an opportunity to run. But being uh, a dad and a father and all that, <laughs> you know, you put what's uh, what puts the bread on the table first. But that would be uh, – I'd be remiss if I didn't say that I, I instantly started taking a trip down Victory Lane. Thinking <laughs> I already had like how much I was going to weigh if that race. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> so, uh, but uh, and I, that that I'm excited about the series going back to Rockingham and uh, and the history is there, particularly for me. The most special things in my career is to know that anybody that drives by Rockingham Speedway and stops and gets out and looks. And those rocks out in front of the track that have the winners' names on them, that they get to see my name, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's awesome. What, uh, what other tracks um, would you would you want to race back at, or you're, even in a normal world, go sit in the stands to watch? The... <laughs> oh, uh, well, I mean, Bristol's obviously. You know, actually, I've never got to sit in the stands for a race at Bristol. I've I've always managed to be in the infield or or racing myself. But uh, I would love to go sit and watch one there one time, or if I was going to pick one, the Southern 500 for sure at Darlington. I got to go so many races at Charlotte when I was a kid. You know, <laughs> I, I would like uh, when I when we was racing go karts and stuff. Uh, when they first opened the Speedway Club at Charlotte Motor Speedway, my dad and a couple of his business partners were able to get some Speedway Club seats. I'd like to go back to Charlotte one time and, and be able to sit in the same seats that we used to have there uh, for Charlotte week and everything. I think that's that'd cool. be neat. bring back a lot of memories. So, you know, I, I sat there. My very first race uh, that I ever went to at Charlotte was the, they call it the pass in the grass, but it really wasn't <laughs> the pass in the grass, but the non-pass in the grass. But uh, the, my, the guys that passed around a hat, uh, and pick names out of a hat for, you know, a little gambling pool. And my dad let me pull uh, a name out of the hat for him, and I pulled Bill Elliott. There you go. My, little, my mom let my little brother pull a name out of the hat for her, 
people, Dale Earnhardt. <laughs> for the rest of uh, our racing careers, me and my brother, uh, Brad was a big Earnhardt fan, and I was a big Bill Elliott fan. Of course, it was all based off of uh, that that race, <laughs> the names that we pulled out of the hat. So, uh, which I, you know, my, my younger brother went on to have quite a bit of amount of success racing too. So, uh, yeah, that was uh, that was a big thing for us as a family that. The racing's always been something that we we've done together and uh worked really hard at and, and uh i wouldn't trade it for anything that's cool you you mentioned going to bristol what do you think about this whole idea of putting dirt back on bristol Ooh, um, <laughs> i mean it's 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 gonna be cool to watch you know, it's, it's, it's it's going to drive viewership up. You know, I mean, I remember the last time they did it with the world outlaws late models and, uh, and the sprint cars. Uh, of course that was, you know, I don't remember how many years ago that was, but actually, uh, it kind of got to know Tyler Walker a little bit at the time. And, you know, he, he was really, really fast. I think he sat on the pole for one of those world outlaws races. And, uh, if I'm not mistaken, he has the track record there on dirt and it, something like, four seconds faster than than what uh uh like even a super late model uh lap is there on on the concrete so mm-hmm. it's impressive what that of course you won't see anywhere near those type of speeds out of the out of the nascar cars but you know it's a different challenge it's it's something that you have to look at uh in a whole different light and you know we'll just we'll just have to see how it goes i mean the truck series guys that have run the dirt races, they're going to look at it one way. It'd be interesting to see the cup cars. Uh, mm-hmm. That's going to be something else to watch them get out there with those cars, no ride height rule on dirt. And it'll be neat, at, especially from the technical aspect of it. You know, these guys are so used to slamming their cars on the ground now with the no <laughs> ride height rule. And that's, you're going to have to predict your ride height, what ride height you run at based on if there's potholes in the racetrack or not, because you can't be spiking the exhaust pipes or the frame rails off the ground just because they're a pothole developed. So <laughs> it'll be kind of neat to see how the crew chiefs attack it and how, how everybody looks at it because, you know, the, these cars or the, any car with a truck arm in it is not designed to go dirt racing. <laughs> so it's all kind of just a, uh, it's a neat deal, and and but I don't know. It's, uh, <laughs> it's either going to be really exciting or or very anticlimactic. I feel like I don't know that there'll yeah. be much in between. <laughs> yeah, that's that's kind of the vibe that we've gotten. It was kind of like the all star that underglow light that they did. Everybody was like, "Oh man, this is going to look cool," and then everybody's like, "Yeah, this was kind of stupid." So uh, the good thing is, I guess they can take the dirt out. And... Was cool as hell. Did you? <laughs> <laughs> I, really did. I was like, I thought the young people that were trying to get to get into motorsports, I thought they would really appreciate that. So, like, it didn't really make a difference to me, but I thought that would help get younger viewers excited mm-hmm. about it. You know, because ride five miles from your house at night and don't pass a car with light shining on the ground underneath <laughs> it. I was like, well, if that gets that guy interested in watching NASCAR, I'm all for it. You know, so uh, true. True. Yeah. That's, that's kind of the approach we've tried to take with all of these changes, like the single lug nut and 
you know, the, moving the number back on the paint scheme. It's like, I don't care it's six to one <laughs> half dozen, the other to me, but man, you get these people that it is, we were talking to Bob Pockers a couple of weeks ago and we were like, Bob, are you a five lug nut guy or a one lug nut guy? And he's like, I want five lug nuts. And we were super surprised that he had such a strong opinion about it. It's crazy that people get so fired up about this stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, change is hard. You know I mean? Like there's a lot of things that I don't want to see changed. And, you know, for the longest time I hated the, the cot car of course the original cot car is everybody knows that was hideous mm. um, i mean it was just a hideous looking race car the car that they've developed into now i mean i think that looks pretty cool you know like the new gen uh the gen 5 or gen 6 whatever they want to call it light model stock body and the super light model body i think that i mean and maybe it's just because i've gotten used to looking at cup cars and, and appreciating more what they look like over the last few years but mm -hmm. but i felt like the light models you know it took those bodies have been out for five years now and have just gotten approved and i thought that was a big waste um to have something there sitting on the sidelines and and some of the back and forth and the negatives and the positives like it really doesn't matter in my opinion on what that body looks like if if the 12, 14, 15, 18 year old kid thinks it's cool looking, that's what we need to be racing mm -hmm. because I'm 40 now. Uh, it doesn't matter if I think my 2006 snowball derby car was the coolest <laughs> looking car ever. It doesn't matter because the kids that we need to watch these races now weren't born in 2006. We've got to build the next generation of, of people to come in when the, the Donnie and Bobby Allison fans aren't going to be here forever to support us. If we don't draw these, these younger people in to support us and come watch, then, you know, we'll be racing formula E before long. <laughs> well, Nobody, it's watches it. that. Nobody watches that. And they still <laughs> race. So. <laughs> so you mentioned a little bit about what you're up to these days. So what is the typical day to day? Uh, so I, I work at D David Gillen Racing. Uh, have since uh, let's see, I started there in January, beginning of January of 2019. So I've been there, you know, just a, a smidge over two years now. Um, first season there, I worked with uh, Drew Dollar and Taylor Gray, racing in the late model series. My my uh, primary uh, or primary driver for myself was uh, was Drew Dollar. Uh, who he just come out of Legends Cars, and so I was his crew chief, and we raced the pretty much the whole Cars Tour series. Drew ended up running uh, a little, little bit more K and N races that year than was originally planned, so we weren't able to compete in the entire schedule. But uh, you know, we had some uh, had some good runs, we had some bad ones, and but uh, you know, our proudest moment was being able to go up to uh, to uh, South Boston and, and win a race, racing against Lee Pulliam and and uh and those guys so um you know with Drew's experience level the only thing he'd run previous to that year was was uh legends cars so uh that's pretty gratifying when you can take a guy that young and and, and go compete with those guys like like Lee Pulliam and Peyton Sellers uh, at South Boston which is their home stomping ground so mm -hmm. um you know there's a there's a lot of gratification that I didn't that I didn't know about for a long time working with young guys um, you know, I worked with my brother, my younger brother quite a bit as he was coming up, you know, 
I raced carts and he kind of came into carts and then I raced late models. And then as I went into the pro cup series, he kind of came into the late models. So anytime I wasn't racing myself, I'd be there helping him. And that kind of sparked my interest a little bit and got to work with some other young guys along the way and has like Matt Craig and um, Sean Ray Hall years before him. So I've gotten to have a, a lot of, of my respect for being able to pass on my knowledge and, as far as chassis stuff and behind the wheel so far, David Gillen racing has been a, been a great place to be able to express that and gotten a lot of enjoyment out of it. And it doesn't matter if we win a truck series race or an ARCA race or, or a, a late model race. You know, when we do that, we do that as a team. We do that as a company. We have a, a win luncheon the following week, <laughs> the same banner gets hanged from the ceiling from a truck series win. There'll be a late model truck uh late model wind banner hanging right beside it from the ceiling so um it's one big family and and uh it's been a, a really enjoyable experience that's pretty cool and uh you know as we continue we we started this podcast just for you we probably started it like eight months ago right bart and we've gotten to talk to all different types of people and you know it's really cool to hear about the grassroots level movement that pushes these guys up. I mean, we've seen, we saw Drew Dollar and, you know, him and Haley Deegan bumping doors, which created this huge stink earlier on this year. Sure. So um, wh why is it that you think, uh, you said you kind of discovered that hand-me-down knowledge that you didn't know about. Um, why is it important to you? Because we don't see it as much from uh, at, at the cup level, you know, we see Kyle Busch throwing lots of money at a, at a truck or something like that. But, um, you know, hearing guys like you who had a lot of success go back, why is that important to you? Well, um, I guess for me personally, I mean, racing's all I ever, I've ever done, you know, mm -hmm. I, I started with it when I was seven, eight year old range. Um, you know, I played a little bit of soccer. <laughs> I did, you know, I never really did any other sport other than soccer and that's basically all I've done since I was seven years old. And uh, I'm not good at anything else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm 40 now. I recently turned 40. And, uh, you know, I've, I've lived and ate and slept and, and, and breathed this since, uh, since such a young age and put so much into it. Uh, you know, granted, you know, a lot of my dreams and aspirations didn't work out. And, you know, I'm not flying my Learjet to Daytona in a couple of weeks to go run <laughs> Daytona 500. But, you know, um, I've got to do a lot of cool stuff that a lot of people haven't got to do. I've, mm -hmm. I've raced at Daytona. Um, you know, I've had successful runs. I've driven a cup car. I've driven Xfinity and Bush or whatever, ARCA, late models, won the Snowball Derby, won five mm -hmm. Pro Cup Series championships. Um and I've got to run uh, 202 miles an hour in Yucca, Arizona, in the desert, at a five-mile oval, driving Mark Martin's car, watching the sun come up. Not many people have done that. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah, That I mean, you know, it's, it's cool. And that's part of the reason we wanted to have you on is because while, while it sounds like you know, you're, you sound very humble when it comes to your success, but like I said, winning – a snowball derby. I mean, people take pride in that stuff and, and it's, 
being a five-time champion is nothing to shake a stick at. It, it's, it's impressive and uh, getting your perspective on it and, you know, hearing these guys that we could see in cup one day, um, you know, I, it may not be your dream, but uh, they're, they're definitely, they're definitely getting it because of you. You know, I just, I've had the opportunity to work with, with people and, and make so many relationships and, and at Gillen's and with the Ford involvement, you know, now I'm, I'm involved with a, a lot of racers at our shop that, that I've known for a long time and I appreciate your company and, and we're all kind of just kind of a, a gang of racers. And then with the Ford involvement, it's, it's exciting to get to, uh, to troll Rodney a little bit again and kind of <laughs> for some information and, you know, Hey, come on, you know, send us over some of that stuff. You got over at the big cup shop. It's just, uh, it, it, it's a neat deal. And, you know, I, you get a lot of you get a lot of satisfaction out of watching the light bulb come over some of these young guys' heads. You know, I mean, uh, probably the first time it ever happened for me was working with Trevor Bain a little bit, and uh, when he was in the Pro Cup series, and, and we were at Hickory one time, and I wasn't crew chief, and I was actually uh, just good friends with Blake Bainbridge, who was crew chief, and him, and I didn't happen to be racing that race, and Trevor was out there running around, running around. I was call, talking to him about his line, how to use the brakes to keep the car turning and, you know, bump stops when, and cold binding where, you know, there's a certain way you got to drive the cars, especially on the short track. And Trevor was really struggling with it. And, and he happened to cl clear a car getting into three and it made him, forced him to do what he was having trouble figuring out. And when he completed that lap, he went to the top of the board. And then he came back around the next lap and did it again and went faster and, and when he came in and he got out of the car and you could just see the light bulb on. Over <laughs> I, now, I, I, as soon as it happened, I felt what you were talking about. And, and, like, and then he was just, oh, and then he was just <laughs> plunged from then on out. And I've seen that happen with Trevor and, and Sean Rahal and, and Matt Craig and, and Drew Dollar and Taylor Gray and, and multiple other ones. And uh, it's just, you get a lot of satisfaction out of that. I'm looking forward to this season, you know, we're working with a young kid named Joe Valento out of Minnesota. And, you know, he's been has a decent amount of success uh, up in Wisconsin the last year or so, racing in late mall trucks up there. Um, he's been down to the shop in the last few weeks. Met him. Uh, haven't met his father yet, but him and his mother seem to be great people. He seems very respectful and, and uh, very eager, eager to learn. Cool. And uh, he's already had a decent amount of success for, uh, for his age. So, it's kind of cool because like you get to go race when you go into the car store, you get to race against Deke McCaskill, Josh Berry, uh, Lane Riggs, those guys. And it's one thing to go beat them, but when you can beat them with a 14, 15, 16 year old kid, you know, <laughs> I still get a, I still get a pretty good amount of satisfaction out of that. <laughs> Oh, well, uh, Clay, we really appreciate you coming on. We've really enjoyed talking to you. Obviously, we'll follow you guys throughout the season. We, we wish you all a bunch of success, and we really hope that you all have enough success and you're able to get back and race at Rockingham. That would be cool. Well, that'd be great, man. I appreciate you guys having us on. Appreciate you what you do and, you know, anything anybody can do to help draw young people and, and, and fans to back when we can have all the fans that we should have back at the racetrack. I hope uh, when things get back to normal, it's just an explosion for short track racing and, yeah. and uh, people being cooped up indoors for 
eight, 10, 12 months or whatever it's going to end up being once they get the opportunity to go back out and experience things in real life and hear the sounds and smell the smells and feel the ground pounding. I hope, uh, I hope they take full advantage of it and it really ropes them in and we can continue this great sport that we all love so much. For sure. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to bring a cooler full of beer. I know that much. Yep. That too. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Clay, we appreciate it. We'll let you go. All right, buddy. Y'all have a good evening. You too. Thanks, Clay. Thank you. That was super cool to hear from Clay. You can just tell how much passion that he has for the sport of racing and just the well-being of it. And, man, he had some cool stories. Yeah, that was a lot of fun talking to Clay, hearing about some things that we don't normally hear about, some of the drivers that are coming up through the series. But we've got to move on, and we're moving on to name that driver. This is a series that we debuted back when we first started the podcast, just a little game that we were playing together. Uh, We're going to start bringing it back to you more often, highlighting some of the drivers in a very unique way. So this is how it's going to work, Bart. I'm going to give you a sponsor. I'm going to give you a fact about the driver. And then I'm going to give you the hometown of the driver, where they were born. From those three things, you have to tell me who it is. So we'll do an example here that's pretty quick. I will give you. I would give you Napa. Mm-hmm. I would give you Bill Elliott's son, oh. and then I would give you Dawsonville, Georgia. Who would that be? No idea. It would be Chase Elliott. <laughs> you know who it is. <laughs> You're being facetious. So that's the game. Each one of these is going to be three points. We'll keep wow. track. You'll have to give this to me at some point. We'll keep track. We'll see who does better by the end of the season. So okay. kicking off. Name that driver. Hungry Jack, Danica's ex, and Memphis, Tennessee. Ricky Stenhouse Jr. Nice. I started you off with a little bit of a softball on these first two. Ricky Stenhouse Jr., that is correct. He is sponsored by Hungry Jack. He is Danica Patrick's ex-boyfriend, and he is from Memphis, Tennessee, certainly. This next one's a little bit of a softball, too. No sponsor, old number, Elk Grove, California. Oh, I think... Okay. Uh, Kyle Larson. Oh, yeah. Nice. But he nice. does have a sponsor, TendrickCars.com. Yeah, that's not a sponsor. <laughs> that is, that's what has, threw me off. Well, he has, he has no sponsor outside no, of uh, Chevy Goods won't even put their name on the car. So it's all HendrickCars.com. It's going to be like the Hendrick Auto Group. We'll see. Hen, uh, R- Rick Hendrick actually came out and said, we're hoping that us giving him a chance allows people to see that he has changed, allows people to see his success in the sport, and then sponsors will come on board. They f- knew that they were going to be fronting his career out of their pocket, which I think is kind of cool, giving a guy a second chance in that type of way. So um, moving on, you've gotten both of these right. So mm-hmm. first one was Ricky Stenhouse, second Kyle Larson. This one, I hope, is a little bit harder. Dude wipes. Fast Pasta, Ridgefield, Connecticut. And these are people in the Cup Series only? Correct. Oh, man. Wait, Connecticut. Is it uh, Joey Logano? No, it is not. It is Anthony Alfredo. I thought you said Cup Driver only. He's not. Oh, he is a Cup Driver now. Wow. Okay. So one of the sponsors that he has is Dude Wipes. Uh, Cool little sponsor. Uh, made use of those myself. 
Fast Pasta is his nickname. I knew that. Yeah, I knew the like the what are the the fan club? What are they called? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know the Black and Chicken Alfredo. You know, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Um, but Dude Wipes Fast Pasta, Ridgefield, Connecticut. That's Anthony Alfredo, who is now piloting the thirty-eight for Front Row Motorsports. Dang. All right, this is another one. This one's a little bit tough. Corvette parts, Martin Truex Championship, Wachula, Florida. Oh, I know this one. Corey LaJoy. No, wrong. BJ McLeod. Uh, yeah, so he has partnered up with Matt Tift, and they are going to be running the 78, and that is the Martin Truex Championship. So they're going to be sponsored by Corvette parts. They have some really like off-brand sponsors that aren't aren't big names that you would typically hear from, but Corvette parts is one of them. Martin Truex championship, that is the 78. So they are bringing back the number that he won the championship with in 2017. And Wachula, Florida is where he is from. Hmm, yeah, that was, yeah. And yeah, Corey Lojoy is not from Florida, pretty sure. <laughs> I don't think so either. All right, moving on. Dang. You said uh, that with a hell of a lot of confidence, though. That, well, that's he, the... he was sponsored by Corvette Parts when he was mm -hmm. at Go Fast. So yeah, that's, that's the only thing that stuck in my head. All right, moving on. This is the last one. So you've gotten um, you've got six points out of a possible 12 so far. Okay. Colorado State, one win, Ladera Ranch, California. Man, I have really no idea on this one. This one's hard. This one is tough because it was the uh, Colorado State car, and and they're doing. Uh, they have a cancer center that they were advertising on the car. Are you giving up? Are you conceding? I'm. I'm gonna give a guess. Okay, give it a guess then. I have a feeling this is like B.J. McLeod kind of territory. Mm. Is it Michael McDowell? No, no. It is Cole Custer. So oh, he okay. was sponsored by Colorado State. I, I was going to say... I don't remember that car. I was going to say one at Kentucky, um, but that oh, would have given that it away. That would have given it away, yeah. And he is from, and he is from Ladera Ranch, California. So that's Cole Custer. That. So out of the fi 15 available points, you got six. But bonus round, okay. these, I right. am only going to give you, these will be worth two points each. So you can make okay. back some of your points here. Bonus points, I'm going to give you one phrase and it is just going to relate to who the sponsor of the car is and you have to tell me the driver. Okay. Castaway. Castaway. Tom Hanks on an island by himself. Denny Hamlin. Nice. Well done. Well done. I'd see. I think I gave that, I gave you a little help there because I felt bad because I, I really won this. Today. Well, I was just thinking about key components of the movie. So I was mm -hmm. like, volleyball. That doesn't make sense. Uh, Wilson? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Castaway. FedEx was the company that Tom Hanks worked for. FedEx, always on time and uh, got stranded on an island there. Denny's big sponsor is FedEx. Next one, you only get two of these, so you've made two points back. Big fish tank. Big fish tank. Oh, 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 oh. Austin Dillon? 
No, I was going for I, Martin Truex Jr. Somebody, I know somebody has a big fish tank. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the person's big fish tank. It is about the sponsorship, which is Bass Pro Shops. Oh, it was about the oh freak. Which is Martin Truex Jr. and every bro sh- Bass Pro Shop has one of those a big, big fish, tank, fish yeah. tanks. Dang. So hey, you got two points back. You got two points back. So, so I got these, eight. Yeah, you've got eight out of fifteen. Now here is your double bonus. This is a sponsor that covers two drivers. You have to tell me who the two drivers are, mm-hmm. and you have to tell me the sponsor. Okay. This will get you four points back. Okay. Save big money. That's Menards. That is uh, Blaney, Ryan Blaney, and Matt Bede- uh, Matty D. Matt DiVinadetto. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well done. Four points back. So you went from just your measly six points. Did you get four points in the bonus round? Mm-hmm. You got your four points in the bonus round and you got your six points. So you are actually at 16 points because of the bonus round, more than you could have started out with. We're going to play again next time. Bart will be quizzing me. We're going to be bringing you this fun game to try and figure out more about the drivers that we all know. What was this called? Name that driver. All right, everybody, it's time for Noble News. It may be the off-season, but things are still happening. So uh, let's kick it off. Chris, did you watch the Chili Bowl? I did watch the Chili Bowl. I can't say that I knew a damn thing about what was going on, but I saw Kyle Larson win in that cloud of dust. (laughs) Yeah, I can't help but think, man, are all these people high in in that room? They've got to be either high or they come out and they're just coughing up a pound of dirt. That's one of those situations where I don't know how you're not wearing a mask in daily life just being in that place. I did see somebody on social media that said, I may have a mask every year now because I actually (laughs) felt so much better at the end of it. (laughs) No doubt. Yeah, it was kind of, it's a dust bowl more than a chili bowl. I did. I like that Mav TV made it available for everyone to watch for free. It was really mm-hmm. cool to watch Larson get uh, two helpings, as I saw one article mm-hmm. uh, say, of the Chili Bowl. Uh, that was one heck of a flip that Bell had. Yeah. Um, and then I also got the Flow Sports subscription to watch on Saturday. I didn't really watch throughout the week. And I will just give a word of warning to folks on that one. It is very misleading um, because... <laughs> It says it's like twelve fifty a month, and I was like, I don't really know what's on this channel, but I'm gonna go and do that just because you know, Chili Bowl. That's worth twelve fifty. Um, well, it's really a year subscription, so it was a hundred and fifty dollars, which uh, yeah. was charged. Um, so you have to like go through a bunch of havoc to to get that switched. Um, so just words of wisdom to folks that may be looking at a Flow Sports subscription next year. Hopefully, but you learned a little something from watching, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, we got it worked out. I had to pay $30 and that's fine. But um, I'm hoping next year this thing keeps getting bigger. Mm-hmm. So hopefully maybe a network will pick it up. If anything, maybe like NBC Track Pass. I'd be cool to see it on that. Yeah. And even as we were talking to Clay, he was talking about how how much it helps all these 
older drivers or these drivers that make it to the Xfinity series and the cup series who have some notability when they come down and they race, he talked about how much it stirs up the crowd and how much it draws in. So, uh, you know, I think it would be cool to have something like that on track pass, something that you don't have to go to an obscure network to find um, because there are so many cup competitors in it alex bowman fielded a team of two cars he wasn't racing himself but he floated the bill for a couple guys to race so cool stuff like that lots of storylines in the chili bowl that um you know i i want to get into it more next year for sure yeah it's definitely it's hard enough to find where to watch it but then trying to figure out what's going on when you're watching it yeah it's definitely there's definitely a learning curve to it all right, uh, next story. Uh, there is a new Netflix sitcom out, and it's called The Crew uh, with Kevin James, mm-hmm. and it's themed around NASCAR, uh, NASCAR team. Did you see the, the little snippet on uh, the promo of this? I did. I saw the snippet. Uh, we shared it out on Twitter. Shameless Twitter plug, at going in tight underscore pod. <laughs> but I saw it. There were a lot of people who had a very, very adverse reaction to it that you know this is a bad look on the sport this is a terrible angle of everything you know we we kind of threw the question out there is this really going to do anything for the sport like slap to the forehead um it's not as terrible to me as people are making it sound but it's also seems like rather than doing a mile and a half track we're just taking a cheesy sitcom and trying to connect with those people and it may cause a spike for a little bit, but it doesn't seem sustainable to me. What was your take on it? I think it's going to be awful. And (laughs) like, you can't, you can't watch that promo and think, Oh man, this is going to be really good. I wonder what happens. Like that's not, it's half a season tops. It's lazy humor. I mean, it may be all right, but if you're looking for something to better the sport, I've been saying it over and over, Drive to Survive, the F1 Netflix series that you have, um, that they have, that follows the sport around, that this is like the quick, surefire way to learn everything you need to know about F1. You learn every team, every, everybody who works on those teams' names, and you're familiar with the tracks by the entire, like, by the first season. And I know other people are saying this, so... I don't know if NASCAR is like, well, I don't know. We don't want to do the same thing. So maybe we'll just do a sitcom. Look at that guy that plays uh, Paul Blart, the mall cop. He's funny. And I have to say, Kevin James is a big name. I, I can kind of see there's NASCAR everywhere. I mean, it is an overload, even in the as I was watching that little clip it was an overload of like NASCAR logo here, NASCAR logo there, NASCAR logo on a coffee cup. I'm like, oh my God, the product placement here is genius. But ultimately, if it falls flat on its face and it's this stereotypical back and forth, I, I don't know that it's going to help out a lot. Um, I, it's one of those things, in my opinion, I don't know if it's going to be like, die put the sport in dire straits i don't know that it's going to take it back i i have to see it if if they play the stereotype i don't know that it's going to help out well you can't tell me that nascar is not growing because i believe that every celebrity <laughs> that is a celebrity is and in now investing in nascar teams no Mr. Kidding. Ride pitbull mm-hmm. is now the co-owner of the new team track house what do you mm-hmm. think about that one mm-hmm. 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 
Uh, I immediately started dropping it low and fist pumping when I saw track house bringing on Pitbull. I think it's cool because obviously Daniel Suarez is driving for them. So, uh, you know, we talk about NASCAR diversity. We saw Bubba Wallace as the face of this. And obviously there was a lot going on with um, African-American relations in NASCAR throughout the year. I think it's cool to see. We talked to uh, NASCAR Sammy a few weeks ago in November it was cool to see that aspect of diversity. I think it's cool to see the Latino population taking part in the sport. NASCAR Mexico ha- is a big movement as well. Uh, quite a few uh, girls who are doing really well in the sport. Daniel Suarez has done well. I think it's cool, but obviously, I mean, Pitbull's just, he is what he is. I can't stop. That's no segue. That is no segue. <laughs> I, lo- I love to see that nascar is getting more diverse and inclusive all all the while that this kind of reminds me of like nascar in the 90s that explosive growth that they had where you saw like joe gibbs this famous football coach come mm-hmm. in and be an owner and there was a bunch of owner uh, other um famous people that invested in teams and became team owners and just generally interested i mean there's all I mean, Jeff Gordon, Dale Earnhardt were real celebrities. Like these guys mm-hmm. were as celebrities as you can get in the late nineties. Yeah. And, and it kind of reminds me sort of the same thing. So I really hope to see that the 2020s are like the best years yet for NASCAR. Yeah. And we've got, I mean, there's rumors out there of Floyd, Mayweather, Floyd Mayweather bringing in a team. That'll be super cool. I mean, we're talking about some big names here. Pitbull, Michael Jordan, we've got former racers coming in, guys that have a lot of experience in the sport, Matt Tift partnering with BJ McLeod. I mean, it's just cool to see that there's more and more people, and that's what we wanted. That's what we wanted all of 2020 is more people, more diversity to come into the sport, and celebrities are definitely one way to do that. I just hope it isn't like celebrity relationships and it lasts like two or three years. And then they're like, call it a divorce and you know, the, the sport tanks, but I, I, right now see it as nothing but a positive. Yeah. I don't really want to see Kim Kardashian come back and sponsor (laughs) a car with her perfume, Um, but I love Michael Jordan Pitbull definitely like really well off celebrities that are investing um, here's a, here's a random one thorough sport. Um, the truck team that, uh, runs Johnny Sauter, Matt Crafton, Grant Infinger, and Ben Rhodes is switching manufacturers. It, we are under a month to Daytona and they don't, we don't even know who they're switching to. It's rumored that it's Toyota. They have Ford currently. That's pretty random. Yeah, that's, uh, so I was looking through the NASCAR updates. I saw that that's random. I saw that Ross Chastain still doesn't have a crew chief. Mm. so it, I, that's random i mean there's a couple people pushing things right to the edge here being a month out it's kind of crazy but switching manufacturers that's a big one because that's a huge learning curve from what we've heard yeah and what should be being released right now instead of switching manufacturers it's paint schemes i want to see all of them <laughs> and we've seen a, a few um i know chase well, this is monday we record on mondays and chases are is coming out tomorrow Mm-hmm. Um, but we've seen a, a, a good a bit of releases. Any 
anything that you like? Anything that you don't like that you've seen so far? Well, the first paint scheme I got to talk about is our own paint scheme. We now have the going in tight, coming out loose podcast Ford Mustang that is racing and I racing. We partnered up with a guy, John Brassard, and he runs his own racing team. Young guy, uh, four or five cars that race for these folks. And we have what we're calling the Black Beauty. It is an all black Ford Mustang with the going in tight podcast logo on there. So pretty cool to see that they've gotten a couple top fives already with it. So we're excited to see that thing make it into victory lane at some point. Just a cool opportunity. When we talk about cup cars, I am I am riding the 48 train with Alex Bowman. I, I really like Alex Bowman, really like the personality, think he's, a, think he's a young guy with a lot of talent. I love what Ally did with the 48. I like that they changed it to kind of move away from Jimmy and that yellow number. But all the Hendrick cars are kind of taking this retro 70s arcade look to them. And I think it's kind of cool because as the car is continuing to change and become this really futuristic thing that people have in their minds is going to be a Formula One car in five years, I think it's cool to kind of throw it back to these old school paint schemes or kind of make kids feel like they're in the arcade playing with a car again. That's that's what I like, but I'm biased towards Hendrick. What do you think? What do you like? Yeah, I do like this retro look. So Bowman's was actually my favorite as well. And I also like the promo that NASCAR did for the Daytona 500. I don't know if you guys Mm -hmm. saw that. That was pretty cool. It's like a uh, Days of Thunder sort of throwback that they did. Um, Bowman's car is really retro. Lefty, the designer that um, did one of uh, Jimmy Johnson's schemes this past year, he actually had one that took it to the next level and made it even cooler. Mm -hmm. Um, So hopefully Ally adapts that one into into the, the schemes this year. There were a few that I didn't like or some I'm just like, man, can you guys switch it up? I think that's one thing that people want to see more often. I know that if you have consistency, that's going to um, help the brand. But at the same time, um, things get stale. Like seeing Joey Logano's paint scheme not change for three years now. I mean, yeah. come on. Shell. Yeah, come on. Um, one that I really didn't like that's new, actually, it's Resers or Risers, Fine Foods. Reasers. Reasers, Re- I don't know. Reasers. That, that's a that's Les's grocery store down there in New Orleans. Okay, Reasers yeah, Market. I'm not familiar with it, um, and it, I don't know about you, but seeing a box of potato salad on the side of a car right next to the wheel well—that's <laughs> appealing to the base right there, man. Like, what are you gonna do when you go to the track at Daytona? What what's gonna sit there in the sun for six hours and still taste the same? It's that mustard-based tomato salad that you can get in a one gallon jug and people are going to eat out of it while they're drunk genius marketing on reasers part i hate the paint scheme i think it's terrible it made me want to gag to be honest (laughs) oh man Uh, i don't know if it got me that bad but i did not like it either all right i'll finish you off with this one we had a social poll this past week we asked we have to keep one for eternity which one will it be the three options were dirt on bristol moving the numbers back or single lug net do you have any idea what uh, the, the, the people voted here? I don't remember. I, I saw you put out that poll. I try not to look at them so that I'm unbiased. What did they say? They actually said dirt on bristle. So I think, really? um, yeah, people aren't as infuriated with that Good or they Lord. hate the other two worse. <laughs> uh, and then uh, the, moving the numbers back, that got people fired up. And that was actually second. And so, and then single, people really, I mean, 
supporting Bob Pockers right there. They just do not want that thing, <laughs> yeah. the five lug nuts to go away. Yeah, he's going to start his his own like clan of people who need five lug nuts. Um, I I don't know. I kind of agree. I mean, actually, no, I don't agree at all. I, I am perfectly fine if you want to have sing- one lug nut. I'm perfectly fine if it brings in more money to move the number back. I don't want dirt on Bristol forever because that means every race on Bristol is dirt. To me, I took that as we're having every Bristol dirt race. All right, let me put it. Take the Roval, okay? The first time they did the Roval, it was not perfect, right? Right. So each year they've done the Roval, and they've made changes. They moved the track around a little bit, and they've made it better. Mm -hmm. Am am I wrong? Okay, so it's the same with dirt on Bristol. The first one is probably not going to be something everybody is just like wow Mm -hmm. that was the craziest best thing i've ever seen nascar is on fire now because of dirt on bristol probably not but can they make it sustainable and make it a something that people are excited about spring bristol isn't something that people get too excited about i mean when i think of bristol i think about the night race in august that's what i get excited about agreed so this could be something new and different to shake things up that people get excited for they could change things on the car after they learn how it reacts on the dirt to make it better racing. So I don't, I think I, it's something that it could be around for a while. Then I wouldn't be mad about it. I wouldn't be mad about it either. I'm I honestly, I wouldn't be mad about any of them. I think it's just a, a matter of moving the sport forward, trying to do new things. Like Clay said, if it brings people in, if it brings younger kids in to, you know, see a cool paint scheme that involves the sponsor mm-hmm. and move the number back. I mean, I'd know who the 48 is. It doesn't matter where the number is on the car. You could put it on the freaking tail end of the car and I'll yeah. be able to figure out where my car is eventually. Yeah. Uh, there are things that are inconsequential to me. I'm super excited about dirt on Bristol. I just want it to get here. Well, you, and you know, and Clay liked the lights on the bottom of the car. <laughs> he did. And I did. I'm not going to say I disliked it. I mean, when we, it was I, it terrible. Was just, In my it was, opinion, it was awful. It was not enough lights. I was excited about the lights, but it looked like they had just one twinkle light in the back of the in, back end of the car. Like put lights on the bottom of the car, light up the car, and then I would have been super excited about it. Well, I think that's where all this like game of inches comes in. It's all like, oh man, if we put some LEDs on the front of it, it's going to give us front too too much front end down mm. for uh, like all this crazy stuff that we have no, we can't even go into the manufacturing of it, but. When we saw that monster car in Las Vegas spinning out in the middle of the street, or was it Nashville? Nashville, where Kurt Busch had the monster car oh, and the yeah. green lights and all the smoke. That's what we were all wishing for. And then we get this like little bar on the back of the car. Uh, it could have been more. I like the effort. I want more effort in the next All-Star break. Yeah. All right. Well, until next time, that has been Notable News. We thank you all for tuning in to episode 27 of Going In Tight, Coming Out Loose. A special thank you to Clay Rogers, the five-time winner of the Hooters Pro Cup Series, for joining the show today. You can listen to us on any major podcasting platform. You can also follow us on social media at Tight underscore pod. Check out our Facebook page, or you can head to the website, goingintightpodcast.com. Remember to subscribe rate, review, unsubscribe, re-rate, re-review. Do it all for us, and we look forward to talking to you all next week. Peace.